Alexander the Great by Philip Freeman. One sentence summary. Alexander the Great is one of the latest, most updated and contemporary books on the life of the ancient Macedonian king, who would extend his empire from a little slide of land in Greece through Persia, Egypt, all the way to India, forming the greatest empire the ancient world had ever seen. My favorite quote from the author is, There is nothing impossible to him who will try. Alexander the Great. This is a book about a great man, so let's start with some big words. Through every generation of the human race, there has been a constant war. A war with fear. Those who have the courage to conquer it are made free, and those who are conquered by it are made to suffer, until they have the courage to defeat it, or death takes them. I can't think of an example of someone who put a harness on their fears and rode them right into victory more often than Alexander the Great, especially if we're talking about existential fears like those about dying. Back in the 4th century BC, Alexander built the biggest empire in the world at the time. The Macedonian Empire was larger than the Roman Empire at the height of its history, and the only empire that had been bigger before was the Persian one, which he conquered. From Philip Freeman's biography, I think there are a few things to learn about this man. 1. Bundle your energy. 2. Always do the unexpected. 3. Without Alexander the Great, Christianity wouldn't exist. Ready to learn from the life of an emperor? Let's dig into history. Alexander the Great, Lesson 1. Always bundle your energy and resources to direct them towards one specific thing. This answers the question, what was the productivity approach of Alexander the Great? When Alexander the Great conquered Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, he strategically bundled all of his resources and armed forces to achieve specific milestones. If you've been reading 4-minute books for a while, you'll probably remember that I just love the Steve Jobs quote that says, Focus is about saying no. I've mentioned it in at least 5 summaries, because I feel I can't be reminded of it often enough. In this case, it was a literal no. A crucial city to take over was Miletus, which was a big base of the Persian navy at the time, 334 BC. The city initially surrendered right away, but soon the word spread that the Persian navy was about to strike. While planning their battle, one of Alexander's generals and advisors, Parmenion, spotted an eagle on one of the Greek ships, taking it as a sign to take the battle to sea. Yep, that's how war strategizing worked back in the day. But seeing that the eagle looked towards the land, Alexander told him no, having had an insight. By bundling his forces to take the city, he could seize the docks and keep the Persian navy from ever reaching the shore. After the decisive victory, he decided to bundle his resources again, by disbanding the Greek navy. He knew they'd never stand a chance against the Persian fleet anyway, and replicating this strategy of not allowing them to dock along the entire Mediterranean coastline was the more focused option. Alexander the Great, Lesson 2 Do what people wouldn't expect you to do. This answers the question, how did Alexander the Great succeed in war so much? Concentrating his resources and efforts in small but tactically important places would often lead Alexander the Great to go against what conventional wisdom of war would have him do, like leading his troops across high mountains in harsh winters, 
or sneaking a few dancers into a city who would then proceed to kill the soldiers they danced for at night. One of Alexander's greatest and most worthy adversaries was King Darius III. But after his victory over Persia by taking Persepolis, the capital, a traitor named Bessus killed the former king of Persia, which spurred Alexander into a mad chase. Expecting to go home after their biggest feat, the Greek army wasn't thrilled at the idea of chasing one guy all the way to India. But since continuing their quest was such an unexpected turn of events, Alexander managed to rally his troops with an inspiring speech. Bessus hid behind the Hindu Kush mountains in modern-day Afghanistan, which are part of the Himalaya and average 15,000 feet in height. He surely didn't expect Alexander to be crazy enough to try and cross them in the midst of winter, so he didn't leave behind any troops to guard the pass. But after five long days, they started their descent, and by summer, they had caught up with a very unhappily surprised Bessus. Often, getting what you want is simply a matter of doing the opposite of what people expect. Alexander the Great, Lesson 3. Had it not been for Alexander's empire, Christianity wouldn't have had an audience to start with. This answers the question, how does Alexander's empire fit into the course of history and what was the most important consequence from it? At 32 years old, Alexander the Great died very young. Imagine what he might have built had he lived to be 50. Nevertheless, his legacy would extend far beyond himself. Having touched three continents with his empire, Alexander changed the history of Greece, Persia, Iran, Egypt, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, as well as of all world religions, such as Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, and Islam. For example, human Buddha statues take the Greek god of the sun, Apollo, as a role model, and Alexander is mentioned in the Quran, because his Greek philosophy influenced the Islamic age. But the biggest impact was left on a place he never set foot in, Rome. Greek was the language of intellectuals in the Roman Empire, and their architecture and art heavily influenced what the Romans built. Even more importantly though, when Christians and Jews first started to break away from the Roman Empire, they used Greek to replicate their texts. And it was only because Greek was the predominant language in all of the Mediterranean countries that Christianity had a ready, receptive audience to talk to. It's funny how often one thing causes the other in ways we'd never have expected. But then again, doing the unexpected is what it's all about. My personal takeaways from Alexander the Great for 2017. I love history books like this. They give me such a fresh outlook on things. And I always learn something I had uh, I had never known before, which is so, so a few cool facts to store in your brain and have at the ready can never hurt. I mean, especially like, come on, the Christians put their writing into Greek so that the uh, so that Greek was the language of of their text that they chose initially because it was the language of the it was the sort of sophisticated language in Rome. And so not a lot of people would understand it, right? And they would be safe in terms of having their texts be sort of spread across uh, within Rome so that not many people could read it and, and understand it. And then at the same time, it was this common language in the Mediterranean countries so that they would actually 
be able to receive an audience i mean it's like no idea about that <laughs> um so that was really cool okay so i want to but the lessons i want to piggyback on are the first and second one because i have two things uh, to add first of all on a personal productivity front because after all it's probably a little more relevant to you and i than trying to conquer uh, india <laughs> um or any other country for that matter so the whole bundling your energy idea obviously works for personal productivity as well it's common strategy it's talked about a lot but what i want to talk about today is that you can bundle your energy on different levels right you can focus on different levels you could focus on and this is something i do on a daily level and the best days i have are always days where i'm predominantly busy with doing one thing if not all if that's not the only thing i do Like days as today, I only had to write an answer on Quora and then I'm only focusing on recording more summaries. That's it, right? Um, or Tuesdays. Ideally, I can take all Tuesday just writing an article. And by the end of the day, the article has to be ready. But at the same time, that's the only thing I'm doing. And those days are a blast, right? I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I can bolt through. I can take eight hours doing just one thing. I make a lot of progress. And that's really wonderful. At the same time, you could also bundle your energy on a weekly basis. And I think this is something that's especially important for athletes. Uh, if you move week to week, so for example, as a runner, right? You have to, if you prepare for a marathon, you might try to run the distance of a marathon over several days and then first run it within one week so that you have, say, six kilometers on every day so that you get the 42 throughout the seven days. And then the next week, you might bundle them up again and do, try to do the same thing in six days instead of seven so you would run seven kilometers each day instead of six and then you go down further and you do it on five days so you run eight and a half kilometers almost every day and so on so you would focus from week to week on certain goals that you want to hit you could also bundle your energy and resources on a monthly basis where you say Month number one this year is that January is dedicated, has a theme dedicated to X. And at the end of January, I want to have my first ebook published or something like that. So that would be obviously bigger milestones. You can bundle your energy and resources also on quarters. And you would say, hmm, like for the first quarter of 2018, I'm going to focus on building a website that makes a thousand bucks a month or something like that. You could also do it, of course, you go further, right? Six-month basis, nine-month basis, maybe, but also annual basis. That's also a good one to focus on. So as I did with four-minute books in 2016, where I said 2016 is a summary day to get this four-minute books website off the ground by the end of the year. And it did. This year is one answer on Quora every single day until I'm certainly, I'm, I'm sort of well-established on that platform. Another way to, to focus. But I think the most important one, if you keep coming back to it, is the focus on the daily on the daily basis. Because if you, I notice when I, so as opposed to having a single focus day, having a multi-focus day, especially Mondays where I have to schedule quotes for any quote, um, catch up on curation of articles, and do a whole bunch of things basically, or Fridays are similar, I notice I feel worse about those days because it doesn't feel like I got as much done even when I did, um, it's very hectic. There's always a cost mentally of switching the task from one to the other and it takes me some time to get back into it and so on. So 
I think that the daily focus part, like theming your days during the week with a certain theme is very powerful. And I'll tell you mine right now, Mondays are for college uh, and again, catching up with some stuff. Tuesdays are for articles. Wednesdays are for recording summaries. Thursdays are for writing a new book summary on 4-Minute Books. And Fridays are for my collection bucket and preparing my newsletter. So that's super powerful and I highly recommend you try the focus on a daily basis thing. So second lesson, do what people wouldn't expect you to do. Um, this one I want to put in brackets because I think it's very important if you have competition. I think it's zero important if you don't really have competition. Now, what am I saying by that? Well, if you're an energy drink manufacturer and you know you're competing against Red Bull, Rockstar, and or is that and Monster Energy, then you know exactly that these three co competitors are your biggest um, are your biggest uh, opponents. And you should do something they wouldn't expect you to do because that increases your chances of succeeding and taking market share away from them, right? That works because like business is kind of like war in, in some ways and so on. If you do something like me where you write articles and you just want to have your freelance business for writing articles or you want to have a blogging platform about knitting or whatever it is, you don't face competition, right? This is such a, there's so many people interested in these things that there's enough pie to go around for everyone. So in that case, you don't necessarily have to focus on doing unexpected things. You should do creative things, but you shouldn't do things that are unexpected just for the sake of being unexpected, right? So what I do is I just go to school, I do my schoolwork, I do this writing thing, right? So I work a lot, but it's not like people always come to me and say like, hmm, that's weird, like why are you doing that, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes people do. And in terms of productivity behavior, if people come up to me and say like, hmm, I didn't expect that, or I this is surprising, that's still a good sign, right? So that I take that as a sign. Like when people tell me, oh, this is surprising, I think that's good. That's a good sign. But it's not like I always try to like every day do something like, what do the people not expect? Like what's an uncommon article I can write this week and so on. I try to be creative. I try to try new things now and then, but I also want to give people what they want. Um, so it's not, so don't just do this for the sake of doing something unconventional. That's what I'm trying to say here. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this summary and hope you learned something about history, productivity and just got a broad splash of info that's going to be useful in your life and I hope to see you on the next one.